asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking TikTok shop, Bitcoiners beware, and kitchen appreciation fees. Yeah, buddy, this is our Friday flight, and we're going to talk about the relevant stories that we think you need to be aware of. We're going to talk about the stories you mentioned, Joel. We're going to talk about investing. I feel like at least once per episode, we got to touch on investing a little bit, the proper thing to that you should be doing with your money. It's a core necessity that we it's, talk about often. Absolutely. But before we get to that, uh, so Amy over in our Facebook group, she mentioned that there's this perk that if you are a stockholder of AMC stock, so the movie theater chain, mm-hmm. you get certain perks occasionally by being a stockholder. This is a way that they're reaching out to stockholders to kind of like connect them with the actual act of going to the movie theater. <laughs> well, this really goes back to kind of when AMC became a meme stock. Uh, and exactly. it was a way to reward those people who were helping prop up the company. That's right. And so occasionally they will offer you like free popcorn. I was sad to see that it'd be one thing if like every time you went in, you could just get free popcorn. Yeah. But it's like, oh, you get a free refill. So you have to actually buy some popcorn first. And there's some other kind of random perks that they that they roll out. But my question for you is basically, is this a frugal or cheap? Is it a frugal move, in your opinion, to get you some of that AMC stock in order to receive some of these perks that, that you're getting there in the movie theater? So I'm not going to do it, but it's not because even my stance against single stock ownership, it is, it is more because I don't ever go to the movies. But I think if you're the kind of person who goes same to the movies and AMC is like your closest theater and or whatever, and, and you're not going just to kind of score the free popcorn, paying 30 bucks <laughs> to get in the door to watch a movie. But if you're like, I, I go anyway, this is just a way to get some you know free concessions uh, when I do go see a movie. I think it's I think it's great. Yeah, Why not buy a well single share sort of thing? And yeah. same. That's that's exactly how I feel. Like I would much rather though be at home watching right. a movie on my own TV, sitting on my own couch next to my own wife, not somebody else's wife, <laughs> 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 out in public, eating the popcorn that she's made, drinking a delicious 
Coke and rum that I've made. Like that's the kind of experience that I want versus, um, you know, actually going into it yeah. with your, I think it could make sense if this is something that you like to like to do often, something that you can take advantage of, but I wouldn't necessarily go out of my way to go ahead and, and buy, a, you know, a, a single stock of AMC in order to, to score those benefits. Just kind of on the note of food and frugal or cheap. I was talking to a friend, you know, we go there, our local water park or whatever here in outside of Atlanta is we, you and I, we got like sick deals on season passes for the family we've been going to do that and i was talking to a friend there the other day and he was saying next year you got to get the meal pass and some people come into the water park to get their free meal and then they go home <laughs> and eat that meal because this the, apparently the food pass is so cheap i think we talked about this at one point with some dude using uh, his six flags pass and the meal pass attached to it it's like a, a couple dollars a meal when you factor it out if you're going every day to get to get oh. your free food have you heard about this uh i think i've seen it but like the food that you get at concession stands it's it's, it's one thing if you're gonna healthy. like grab a lemonade or something like that but i'm not necessarily gonna go all the way out to a theme park just to grab yeah a bunch of hot but dogs this one's close to our house it's like six or seven minutes yeah. away yeah. And so it's almost like going to, <laughs> instead of going to Wendy's or McDonald's, if you're a fast food person, it's like you go there instead. But you're right. I mean, if you're eating that every day, it's, it's not going to be good for other reasons. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'll let you try that one out. Maybe this, this <laughs> no. next year, you let me know how it goes. Not, not me. All right. All right. Well, let's get on to the Friday flight, Matt. It's a sampling of stories, of course, that we found interesting this week that pertain to your personal finances. Let's start off by talking, we'll keep talking about food. Let's talk about restaurant fees. There was an article, Matt, in the LA Times just a couple weeks ago about the annoying and sometimes downright deceptive restaurant surcharges that are still plaguing customer bills after they finish their meals. This is one of those things like, I don't know, tipping gone wild, it feels like is what's happened in our country, right? Especially in, in major metropolitan cities. And a lot of this had to do with COVID and a lot of us were, were more than happy to support our favorite restaurants. We realized that yeah. they had to tack on these fees for a time, but those fees persist, right? And well, so there's, there's a certain amount of risk not responsibility, but we wanted to prop up our favorite local restaurants. We talked about this back during 100%. the pandemic. Like we went out to we our favorite spots in we EAV did, yeah. just to like, man, the amount of takeout that we ordered just to f- make sure that we were contributing to our community, just that, that entire mindset. We were buying gift cards that we didn't know we would actually end up getting to use because we cared about our restaurants so that much. It was more right? like a donation as yeah. opposed to a smart way of spending your money. But now, <laughs> the, groceries. now that things are back to normal, customers are fighting back. They're saying enough is enough, especially when I get blindsided you know, after, when I get the bill. And so Reddit users in LA and Chicago, they've created these public Google Sheets to reveal, to basically highlight the the restaurants that are imposing these fees on, on their customers. And it's bonkers. Some of the names are hilarious, like the health and happiness fee or the kitchen love surcharge. <laughs> and people's bills are magically growing up, going up by like five to 18%, right. which, is, which is a lot that you're not expecting when you get the final bill. And it's, it's not great for servers either, because a lot of people think, oh, this probably goes, this is probably in lieu of of a tip. But at a lot of these places, it's it's not. And so I guess what we would tell restaurant owners is just raise the menu prices so that we can see front and center when we're looking at what we want to order, what the cost is, It's the it's or, or at least let people know uh, before you want they sit down. Yeah, it's a transparency. Like, I don't like just fees anyway. Build it into the price. Let's get rid of the fees. And uh, we gave you a lot of leeway during COVID, but it's time for restaurants to kind of change their tactic on some of these goofy fees they're charging. Yeah. Well, and, th- and the problem is, is often Oftentimes, like you think that that surcharge is going to servers, but yeah. in a lot of cases, it's not. It's straight so, to the pockets of the owner. So it fools you into thinking that you don't need to leave a tip. And so that's why, specifically in the that LA Times example, they were talking about how servers are like suing this restaurant group or whatever. But it's also just a, like in my mind, a tacky. It, 
Like it's just not a good customer experience because when you right. sit down and you see all these line items, like I don't want to have to have an accounting degree to be able to review my receipt yeah. as opposed, like you're just telling me how much everything costs. No, that just tell me how much the, I just want a bottom line number because it's not like by breaking those things out that you can remove those things. There is no power or control that you have. And so from that standpoint, I, I'm not a, a huge fan of it either. Well, the one thing I would tell people, when you get the receipt, if you weren't told in advance about this charge, uh, talk to a manager. Certainly push <laughs> back, say, ask about it, yeah. What is this fee? What does it go to? Why am I paying it? And then if if they refuse to like eliminate it or they don't have a good explanation or, or they didn't tell you ahead of time, I mean, that might be a restaurant I would probably not go back to. You may not frequent again. Yeah. So that's the, the kitchen appreciation fees, but <laughs> credit card fees are becoming more common these days too, in particular at restaurants. But like it used to be, you, you would see this mostly at gas stations, small boutique retailers, you see it at like liquor stores, at least around here. Uh, but as paying with a credit card becomes essentially ubiquitous, restaurants are doing their best to claw back some of the essentially they're called like swipe fees uh, that they pay to Visa and MasterCard. Uh, it's one of their largest expenses. And and so I kind of get it, right? Like I actually don't mind if they're trying to pass some of those expenses along to their customers. There's not a whole lot of margin when it comes to running a successful restaurant. It's not a se- sneaky contrived attempt just to get more money out of you. But with this one, I think folks, they definitely do have the ability to modify how it is that they're going to pay in order to avoid this additional fee. Because, you know, depending on how much the actual fee is, I am still likely going to pay with my credit card because I'm optimized. Yeah. There you are, wouldn't are if cost. it was a 10% fee, but if it's a no, two, yeah. th- 2 or 3% fee, you, you'll still pay with plastic. Exactly. And I think this is something, too, that I think you can push back on because if you saw that fee after you get rung up, I think you could say, oh, actually, do you mind re-ringing that? Because I didn't know there's you're going to charge me specifically for using a, a credit card. And I don't think they would mind if you're like, oh, sure. Actually, I'm going to switch over to cash because I see there's a little discount built in by doing that. I think as long as customers and consumers, as long as they have the option to do something about it, that's I don't mind it if yeah. you are giving folks the option. Well, and, and again, this is a hard cost that restaurants have. The kitchen appreciation fee is just kind of a bonus thing and it's like oh just make your prices what they should be but they have a legitimate hard cost when it comes to taking credit cards and if they want to incentivize people to get a discount to pay with cash i mean i'm okay with that and like that's something said, that you can do something about right as opposed to it just being this line item that's just listed out and it's just like oh great okay can't do anything about that maybe i just won't have like you said choose not to come back here again well and like i think the reason you said that you would potentially still pay with a credit card is because of the rewards that you get. And some of our favorite cards, you get three or 4% cash back when you're eating out. And so if, if the, if the credit card fees 3%, well, guess what? My Costco visa card comes with a 3%, uh, 3% cash back when eating out, you've got one that gives you 4% cash back when you're eating out. And so the, that's a good reason to say, oh yeah, I'll still pay with credit card. Uh, it's it's a wash. But let's keep talking about credit card fees, Matt. There's, I feel like we've all gotten used to credit card reward points over the years. We just did a whole episode with Lynn Mettler about how to fly for free with your family and using credit card rewards. Yeah, TLDR, the only way you can get there is <laughs> through credit cards. There's no other no other way that I know of that's going to allow you to travel for free uh, around the world or around the country. And this is all thanks to the credit card companies, but it's not just because they're benevolent. Other credit card users who don't pay off their balances in full every month, they're kind of subsidizing our rewards. But on top of that, because the credit card companies make massive swipe fees like we just talked about that are burdening these restaurants every single time we use our cards, these fees are they're actually kind of on the chopping block. They might not be around for much longer. And if Congress decides to pass the, the Credit Card Competition Act, as it's called, this could substantially inhibit 
the the swipe fees that Visa and MasterCard are able to charge, which would in all likelihood inhibit the rewards that we're able to earn. Is this even going to pass? Is it going to get a vote even? I, I don't know. But this 2% transaction cost is a huge part of the reason we all have rewards these days. And, and if something does get done, if if this practice gets cracked down upon, then those rewards, they might not be around much longer. That's true. Yeah. And typically, I'll say I'm skeptical anytime the government wants to step in and place artificial limits on anything, right? But I will say I am slightly more hopeful about this bill because they're looking to increase competition. And so the different the way the networks work is they're thinking about making it so that one of the two networks that they are using is not either Visa or MasterCard, which dominate like I think over 80% of the market. Yeah. They basically have a duopoly, which yeah. is two, two companies that run things. And so I, I like this from the standpoint of it introduces competition. And anytime there's competition, you're not just stifling an industry. It's it opens the door for some creative expansion, which is something that, that I do like to see. It makes me think of, the, there's a study like a long time ago, I think over at MIT, but they studied the airlines and any time a low cost budget airline moved into a new, a new market, a new city, what did that do to all the other airline fares? It lowered them. I think they called sure. it like the Southwest effect. Yeah. But basically by introducing more competition and giving people more options, it drove prices down, which ultimately saves us all money. Same so. thing happens when an Aldi launches in a neighborhood, right? I mean, yeah. it's Kroger, prices at Kroger, that, that's half a mile away, the prices go down there too, because now they've got a there's Extra competition. competition, yeah. Yeah, in, I love it. Space. And we, man, we haven't even talked about the fact that uh, Winn-Dixie and Aldi, the fact that Aldi bought Winn-Dixie. Yeah. That's promising. And sure. so if you've got a Winn-Dixie near you, fingers crossed that that is one, because they're only choosing to convert certain numbers of uh, the Winn-Dixies yeah, to... They bought 400 stores, but... To Aldi's. They're only converting some, right? Uh, so, if, yeah, fingers crossed that your Winn-Dixie will turn into an Aldi, <laughs> uh, but hopefully it doesn't impact the existing Aldi's and the, uh, the incredible prices that they're able to offer folks. Yeah. So again, this is this is vaporware. This is potential legislation, but and it could have an impact on credit card fees. And you know what, Matt, I, I'm okay if the if those swipe fees go down and if it reduces costs for retailers. Oh, I'm all about if those fees go down. Yeah. It's about how they sure. uh, are able to limit those. But fees. I'm, I'm I'm all good with that because I don't mind missing out on some of those rewards if it lowers prices, right? And I. I, I kind of like the system the way it is, but I know it's also not the most fair system. So if if those fees go down, no sweat off my back. I'm okay with, with fewer fewer rewards. But since we're talking about cards and plastic, let's talk about gift cards for a second. There's a lot of unused gift cards. This is something that continues to be uh, an American problem. And 47% of U.S. adults have gift cards languishing in their wallet, their purse, or like their underwear drawer. That's that's where a lot of people keep theirs, right? That's where you keep your cash, I know. That's right, yeah. Because I've looked through your underwear. <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird. But like the the real thing, Matt, is people need to spend the gift cards that they have, right? Pull them together. Emily and I did this. We started going back to these places where we had gift cards and, and taking our date nights based on where we had a gift card to. So use, nice. the, use the gift cards you have on hand. Or if you're like, hey, this isn't really my jam, buy something for somebody else at that retailer. Or sell your unused gift card that you're never going to use, you're never going to get around to using, that's just basically like worthless in your life, well, turn it into something positive and yeah. you can sell it at a site like cardcash.com. Can you, so can you sell agave credit there? Do you and Emily, uh, do you, do you, one of my favorite in-town <laughs> restaurants. Well, and the do you also have agave credit or I, gift cards? I think we're all out now. Yeah, okay. I think we used it all right before we moved up. Because that's a haul to go all the way back in town. Sure. Like that's kind of a frugal or cheap as well. It's just like, oh, it's so far away. Is it worth the additional time, the gas to take advantage of money that you've already spent? Because then you 
start dealing with a little bit of the sunk cost fallacy, well, right? Because you're like, we already have it. It is if you love the place, right? <laughs> and you want to go back there because it's one of your favorites. Sure. And the whole reason I bought gift cards to that restaurant so frequently is because they offered deals. They were always yeah. great deals. It was like, hey, if you spend a hundred bucks, you'll get $140 in gift cards to our restaurant. And that's when gift cards make sense, There's right? When value there. When you're getting a special deal. But for the most part, I think gift cards, when you're just trading a dollar that can be spent anywhere for a dollar that has to be spent in one specific place, that doesn't really compute with me. It doesn't really make much sense. So I, I would say like, if you're thinking about getting a gift card for somebody as a gift and you're not getting any sort of additional perk, give cash instead with a thoughtful letter that says like, hey, I know you're, you, you've been wanting this or I know you would love this or I know you, you, you'd love to go spend this on an experience or something like that. I mean, think about wedding registries now, Matt. People want cash more than anything to for like want, a home down payment. They want or, down payments. Yeah. yeah, they want down payments or honeymoon <laughs> dollars, right? And so, but people want to give you plates and forks and stuff like that. And sometimes like the best gift is cash. Yeah, you're more of an absolutist on this one, which is normally uh, the roles have reversed a little bit. I feel like <laughs> I'm normally like the absolutist, but I do think it makes sense if you want to give somebody, like you said, the, an experience because other, that otherwise they would not pay for themselves, right? And so like it makes like a favorite coffee shop here Tuesday, they make the best co- like they pull the best espresso. They make the best coffee. The the actual shop is gorgeous. It's awesome. And I think there's a lot of folks who would say, well, I don't really want to go there. But if I basically am curating an experience and, and I'm saying, I really want you to experience what I get to experience when I go there, that's when I think it makes sense. Because otherwise, I, you could write a note, but... Or you can take them there. Or you, that, even better, absolutely, yeah. e- even better. But I think that's one exception as well. So certainly, if you get a deal, if you're able to get more by getting, ordering, buying a gift card than the actual cost of the gift card. But then uh, there's a there's that whole experience side of it as well that I think can can make a lot of sense. Yeah, but lots of times it. it can be it can be kind of a lazy gift right and you calling me lazy no not trying to throw shade i'm just saying i I know from personal experience that sometimes that's like a oh i kind of know they like that retailer maybe i'll just grab something there and turn it oh yeah yeah and so and uh, i mean i'm guilty guilty because i've done it too um but i do think that that cash is is often a better gift and especially when you look at that stat and you're like man there's a decent chance this goes unused not even because they didn't think it was a good gift but because it got lost somewhere they they didn't get around to it fell behind the cracks of your dresser or that kind of whatever and and that's kind of what i want to avoid i hate seeing like just what is is it more than a billion dollars in unused it's it's like so much money yeah i mean it's a substantial amount of money so it it is a lot yeah that uh different retailers that they have on their books as gift cards that hasn't quite yet been redeemed so even though i think i agree with you in principle it's thoughtful right to give that that's that that can be a i don't know you said it's lazy but yeah (laughs) i think it can be thoughtful and it shows hey i want you to have this interesting day but if that gift card gets lost or you know misplaced then that just kind of went down the toilet yeah all right we do have additional stories we're going to get to, including how Bitcoiners need to beware. We will get to that, plus a few other stories right after the break. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. 
Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it. Minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, the Friday flight continues, and of course, we've got to get to our ludicrous headline of the week. Mm-hmm. This one is titled, Most Stocks Are Bad for Your Wealth which doesn't sound like a great title. but th- I do like the headline because it makes it sound like, it's like this is bad for your health, yeah. so avoid this thing. It's kind of like smoking. I like that. Like, yeah, yeah, it. exactly. <laughs> Surgeon General's warning. Right. Jerome Powell's warning. Uh. Well, th- this one comes from the Financial Times, which is uh, a great newspaper from across the pond. And so it just made me think, like, wait a second, are you guys telling me that investing in stocks is a bad idea? No, of course. As always, this is a headline that's meant to evoke a click and, and some sort of emotional response. But let's check the numbers, right? The stats do show that the majority, 58.6% to be exact, of stocks underperform a basic cash strategy, right? So more than half of stocks, if you were to invest in them, they would do worse than just holding on to your dollar bills. The, the Financial Times literally concludes at the end of this article that the median global stock has been worse than dollars in a cookie jar, mm. which is crazy. So a bunch of, of stocks are not going to help you out. And, and this is crazy, but true. There's nuance here though, right? Just because most stocks won't help you build wealth, it doesn't mean that investing in the market as a whole 
is going to let you down, right? The stocks that don't suck, well, those ones more than make up for their underperforming peers. Essentially, this entire story can be explained by looking at the difference between average returns and median returns, because they're looking at median returns. And that's not what you get when you invest in the entire market, which is what we advocate for. Like it, it's, it's like a modern day parable. Like, have you heard the story of when uh, Elon Musk walks into a bar, the net worth of everyone in the bar on average goes up like sure. 20, 50 million or, <laughs> yeah. or something like that. Does that mean that each person, each patron in that bar, that they actually got richer? No. But if you're looking at the average, it effectively does. And that is what happens when you buy the entire market as opposed to individually picking stocks. And by the way, we, we actually talked about the dangers of st- single stock investing back in episode 497. Uh, so that's one that you can go back and listen to if, if you want to do a deep dive into some investing. But let's kind of pull this all together. This is not a case for hoarding cash. We're not saying that it's a better move to stick that money in yeah. your underwear drawer or in the cookie jar. Right. It's another argument, though, in favor of index funds and against investing in single stocks, uh, even though most stocks end up doing worse uh, than money that you're actually just keeping as physical cash, it's still too difficult to pick the actual winners and the actual losers. It's like going into a bar. Let's say you didn't know what Elon Musk looked like and you had to like pick somebody and say, okay, you get to share the wealth of one person in this bar. It's like, what if you end up picking the guy that's saddled with like $40,000 in student loan debt? That's essentially the equivalent of single stock investing. You don't know which ones are going to perform. So that's why we we like to point folks towards index investing, investing in the entire market. I don't even like typically saying investing in stocks because it does have that connotation of, okay, well, which ones? Right. As opposed to saying, no, you need to invest in the market. The only single stock you should own is one share of AMC, right? <laughs> in order to get that popular. Yeah, because yeah. usually it really is the hope and a hunch and a prayer sort of mentality when it comes to single stock investing. It's like, oh, well, I watch Netflix sometimes. Um, I should invest in that. Or it's like, whatever. I mean, it, uh, that CEO, he's kind of crazy and out there. Maybe I should invest in that stock. But there's so many things that influence the value and the direction of a of single stock mm-hmm. that it's just a really, even if that company is great, it doesn't mean their stock is properly valued, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it looks like maybe, let's say, NVIDIA has a lot of room to run as a company. Does it mean their stock has a lot of room to run? Not necessarily. It might be super overvalued right now. I don't know. Who knows? Exactly. That's the thing, though. We don't know. And like, it literally takes dedicating your entire life, like Charlie Munger or uh, Warren Buffett, to analyzing different companies. Then, yeah, you might be able to outperform. Otherwise, the rest of us, all the rest of us peons, you invest in the entire market. And that's honestly why so many individual investors end up underperforming the index and underperforming other more conservative ways of investing too is because they're trading frequently based on what they read yeah, in some headline. Exactly. They're yeah. like, oh, maybe I should hop in on that one then. Or, uh, and I think I heard uh, Carl Richards, who does like those sketches on the napkins for the New York Times, he, the behavior guy, he, mm-hmm. I think recently said, if you don't have something in your portfolio that's underperforming that you're kind of annoyed with, you're not diversified enough. And so, yeah, I think like the the fact that we're diversified, we're, we're not going to have the top returns. We're not going to have, we're not going to be overweighted towards the stocks that are doing the absolute best, but it also prevents us from that downside being too heavily invested in some of these stocks that are going to perform worse than, you know, 
cash in our wallet. So uh, something else, by the way, that can impact your returns is your Bitcoin exposure. And the folks at Morningstar did a write-up on this, and they found that even just a little bit of Bitcoin will add a lot of volatility to the mix of your investments. And too much volatility can cause you to take actions that you probably wouldn't have made otherwise, right? And so they give this example of how adding just 5% Bitcoin to your portfolio, which is, in our estimation, the absolute most you should have, to, to like a balanced portfolio, a 60-40 portfolio of stocks and bonds. Well, from a volatility perspective, it's going to make it feel more like a 90-10, a 90% stocks, 10% bond portfolio. And so for a lot of people, uh, I just I think it's important to say the right crypto exposure for a whole lot of people, the right Bitcoin exposure is zero. Because if you do opt to invest in Bitcoin at all, even just a little bit, know that you'll experience bigger portfolio swings. Can you handle it? then you might be okay having a little bit of exposure. But know that these swings are often what cause investors to make changes that aren't in their best interest. And so I thought that was a good write-up. It's helpful because there's still a lot of interest, uh, even though I guess, I don't know, is the crypto winter still around? It seems like Bitcoin hasn't done much, right? It's um, it's doing pretty good over the, I guess, the, the past year. It's But not f- compared to like, its highs, like two, sure. three years ago or whatnot. But uh, uh, let's talk about a new way, Joel, for us to spend our money. Not us, personally, because we... Avoid TikTok. Ain't got time for that. But uh, the t- I believe we are on TikTok, but we, you and I, have no control of Pers- it. Yeah, personally, I, I am not on there. Uh, don't want to get sucked in. Yeah. But the TikTok shop has now been unleashed, and yeah, that's yet another way that they've greased the skids, and the different social media companies are trying to part you from your money. Uh, the algorithm there on TikTok, of course, is promoting s- different videos that are promoting products that you can purchase via TikTok shop, and so doom scrolling. It's not only going to suck all of your time, but it's also going to cost you money. It's going <laughs> to steal your money as well. And so we would recommend to either take the app off your home screen or just considering uh, deleting it altogether because you're going to be able to avoid this new virtual mall. You'll probably be a little bit happier as well based on any of the recent research that the impact that that has on mental health. But it's I, w- I wanted to admit that I buy things on social media, specifically yeah. Instagram. But I feel like it, it's a little bit different because I've, when I see an ad on uh, Instagram, it hi- like it feels more like a marketplace. At least in my own experience, I know that, for instance, Steep and Cheap, they served me up a Patagonia down jacket that was on massive sale. I'm a basic bro. Okay. <laughs> I got my, my Patagonia jacket. But what it feels like TikTok is doing is that they're, it feels like they're actually manufacturing consumption. Like they're, it's almost as if they're manufacturing demand and they're selling stuff that I'm sure there might be some decent stuff uh, up there uh, within the shop, but it feels like stuff that is part meme. And, and like they're basically blurring the line between memes and stuff in real life, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I feel like what that does is it just fuels consumption. It fuels waste. Like, have you seen, have you heard about like these pickle, pickle t-shirts or these, yeah, like, these pickles? It's stuff like that where I'm just like, okay, you have blurred the line now between social media and real life. And when it comes to different memes and what it is that thing, how things are trending online and on social media, it costs you your time if you are kind of getting sucked into that. But there aren't actual products being manufactured. And I hate this because it just feels like fast fashion, fast fashion taken to like the nth degree yeah. where someone's going to get something because they think it's funny and maybe they wear it or they use it, whatever, for Twice. like a week. <laughs> right. And then it just ends up in the landfill. I hate that aspect of, of what it feels like that the TikTok shop is doing. Well, and I think you and I would say, whether it's TikTok or Instagram, however you're getting served ads and you see something that's like, oh, that's a decent deal. And that's something that I would like. Well, uh, incorporate a 24 or 48 hour rule, right? Yeah. Where you're just like, 
okay, do I still feel this way about that jacket or that pickle shirt uh, 48 hours later? <laughs> and if you don't, if you're saying, wait, well, in the moment, yeah, it seemed nice and it seemed like a good deal, but now I'm realizing, wait, I have other financial priorities. If you have a rule like that in place and you're not buying stuff on a whim that's being served up to you, realize there's being, there, you can't go on the internet now and not be, uh, and not have someone attempt to sell you something. Sure. And so the more we can avoid that and incorporate habits into our lives that prevent us from making knee-jerk purchases, I think that's what's important. And you mentioned it's the virtual mall. Like that... That's the perfect way to phrase it. Like, we, yeah, th- th- you're just w- perusing along right. and something flashes in front of you. Like you weren't necessarily looking for something. And again, I know it's a fine line between. It's like Spencer's, like the goofy <laughs> t-shirts and stuff like that. I don't even know if that store still exists, but that's that's kind of what TikTok's trying to do. And you didn't need the like Burton Ernie goofy retro shirt or anything like that. But now TikTok says, hey, whoa, why don't you check in? And, and then that, and you're like, yeah, why not? And but. That money adds up, right? Yeah. And there's this but other... Hey, it's your money. You spend it like you want. You spend it like you want, but create <laughs> habits that prevent you from spending it in a in a knee-jerk way. They're going to upend your budget. And there's a, another TikTok trend, by the way. It's apparently called girl math. Man, I don't know if you've heard of this. Sounds kind of sexist. I don't know if I'm allowed to be talking about it, but <laughs> it's it's kind of a joke, really. Like one of the, the girl math trends is to view cash as free money or to think that you're making money when you don't buy a latte at your favorite coffee shop that day or that you're losing money when you don't buy something that's a good deal all those things are not true we know that right (laughs) basically it's it's dumb mental accounting but it's it's something that we've all been guilty of at different times right yeah we we, we've all done something like that to justify something that we want to buy like a splurge that we want to partake in as a way to emotionally not feel as bad about it Uh, but just because these jokes are swirling around social media don't let them impact how you view your dollars right the your dollars are workers that can help you on the path to financial independence and yes that includes physical cash that's real money too and uh (laughs) even though personally for me that isn't a completely separate bucket as well because it's just it's literally not on the books anywhere and i keep like this little stash of petty cash around yeah which doesn't feel real though i know it is exactly but i think if you trick yourself into thinking that some of these purchases are free money or that not spending money is saving money those are those are different things right yeah i saw i saw some folks justifying that like if you get you split a bill a friend venmos you some money and so that money's sitting there in your venmo account it feels unaccounted for oh that's free money and you can just spend it however you want but no you should be accounting for that and especially if you have big financial goals every dollar matters that's right yeah but what makes it funny though is that there is a kernel of truth what makes anything funny is that it's slightly true and so you it's okay to laugh at it and, and enjoy the joke but simultaneously we hope that you are making wise decisions with your money that you are doing the right things. Yeah. Uh, Joel, did you see that there are no longer uh, any cars that you can buy new that are less than $20,000 now? I did see that, yeah. So the Mitsubishi Mirage is just like that. It's a Mirage. <laughs> it no longer yeah. exists. It's gone. Which, personally, I don't even know what a Mitsubishi Mirage <laughs> looks like. And so in my mind, I, d- I didn't know anybody that drove one. And so I feel like that the sub $20,000 car, maybe it disappeared a long time ago. But a couple years ago, that there were some some others too that were sub 20 the corolla used to be one right? oh, really like, that was a dependable tw- sub 20k car but now it's a and that was just the starting price by the way like that sure when you put on extra stuff it was going to cost more than that anyway. more expensive yeah it's a bummer because it seems like cars are getting more affordable less affordable i should say which got me thinking though is this just 
is this the reality or is this just perception? Is this just what it seems to be? And so I actually, so I did a little bit of research. I started digging and I was like, okay, what's a good solid car that they made like 30 years ago? So I was like, oh, like a Honda Accord. So I looked back in 1993. How much do you think a new Honda Accord cost? 1993, I'm going to say it cost $14,500. Oh my gosh. Excellent guess. It was like right around $15,000. Okay. All right. And so, but what, what do you think the average annual salary uh, was in 1993? I'm going to say the average annual salary was $39,800. It was $30,000. Okay. $30,000. So you do the math. Basically, a good solid car back 30 years ago was about half of the annual salary. And so, but, so guess what the annual American salary is today? It, well, I'll just tell it's you. Like 74, it's like 74000 right? It's right at $60,000. Right. So based on that math, that should tell you that, okay, maybe a solid, decent car today that's new should cost you around $30,000, which is you know, obviously substantially more than a $20,000 vehicle. And so I guess I, I wanted to present that piece of information, I guess, with the with some of the numbers are showing, because even though there are fewer affordable cars in, in relation to what cars used to cost, it it seems like it's kind of keeping in line. It, it seems know, to be the, tracking. Well, the average price of a new car sold in America is like $49,500. So that's true. Yeah. I mean, that also takes into account just how nice cars have gotten, right? It's, it, that's that true. Cars definitely isn't apples too. to apples. An Accord in 93 is, is not the same as an Accord in 2023. E, that is true. That is true. Same with houses, right? Like houses have improved in a lot. So you're, you're not comparing apples to apples on either one of these. But it is, I think, disheartening for people to see that it's hard to buy a, a new car for sub 20k and car prices are still just kind of crazy right now yeah. uh, which only reinforces keep your car longer like maintain it well consider used as well if folks are out there and they've never actually purchased a used car i mean you could t- like do not take that depreciation hit uh buy a car that's three years old save a ton of money and have a virtually new car yeah i ran into my best friend from childhood growing up you're my current best friend so oh yeah don't feel thank bad. you thank you uh, but so he and i went to a, a concert the other the other day and he pulled up in his in his hyundai it's 13 years old he paid $13,000 for it 13 years ago, and he's still driving it. And by the way, it's like That's this awesome. like tiny econo box, and he's like 6'6", six, six, which I just think is amazing. Like, <laughs> people, I people, bet he gets pretty good gas mileage, If you're too. willing to suffer a little bit, drive something that's not very cool, that might not even be all that comfortable, you can save a ton of money. And that's all that car has done for him. He bought he's it six, brand six. new. Yeah. I just heard you, I just registered in my mind. So you and this other guy, I bet y'all were on like the front row at right the concert. Same height. Oh, yeah. Uh, blocking everybody's view. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, down in front. But it's just a good lesson, right? Like, could yeah. he afford something nicer? Sure. But does he choose to drive this so he can spend money freely in other ways? Yeah, he does. And I don't know. I think it's a good example. Absolutely. All right. I think that's going to be it for this Friday flight. You can find all the stories that we mentioned today up uh, on the website at howtomoney.com there in the show notes. We'll link to any other resources that we may have mentioned. But buddy, that's going to be it for this episode. So until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Pereira. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.